Okay, well, I mean, I'm going to assume that we are live. That's what the screen is saying. Um, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm really excited to have you part of this show. Um, so welcome, everybody, to a new podcast experience. And the goal is to take your negotiation skills to the next level. Um, I am JN Rate. I am your host, and I work as an associate professor of management at McGill University, where I specialize in negotiation and conflict management. I'm excited to introduce a new podcast series that I call Master Negotiators Live, uh, which I will host every Wednesday at noon Eastern on LinkedIn and YouTube. Um, so what can you anticipate from Master Negotiators Live? Every week, I will feature two negotiation experts with extensive experience and compelling stories to share. If you have not done so already, please visit my website, jnreyt.com, jnreyt.com, to register for my newsletter and receive notifications about my upcoming events. And so to start this great journey, uh, I'm really excited to introduce two stars from the negotiation world. So our first guest is Paul Nadeau. He's a retired police detective, hostage negotiator, and international peacekeeper. Paul has a life full of thrilling stories, and many find him incredibly fascinating. Paul is now an international keynote speaker. He helps businesses using hostage negotiation principles and his own four-step negotiation model. He's also written several books, including The Baddest Guide to Negotiation, uh, to Conflict Resolution, sorry. So hi, Paul. Uh, before I introduce Mexo, can you please share your favorite negotiation tip? Absolutely. I, I'm going to give it in three words. Damn it, just ask. That's, That's my a favorite. great tip. You know what? That's my favorite because I have noticed that so many people just don't ask. They don't ask for what they want. They don't ask during a negotiation. There may be something in their mind and they're thinking, you know what? I should speak up right now. I should say something about this or I should ask for this or I should just express my opinion here. And they don't. So in three words, damn it, just ask. Though that is number one principle for me. I think it's a great principle. I mean, I always tell my students, you know, uh, if you ask, you already have 70% chances of getting it. Like, because nobody asks. So if you're one of the people who asks, you know, you're really much more likely to get it. Well, you know what? We have a, a famous Canadian hockey player here in Canada, um, Wayne Gretzky. He once said, you always miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Yeah. And it's true. Like, if you don't ask, as you just said, John, if you don't ask, yeah. you don't get. And what, what's the downside of not asking? We can talk about, oh, no, everybody fears no, but actually no is a great word. We'll talk about that later. But really, yes, ask for what you want and damn it, just do it. And uh, every, yeah. I've spoken to a lot of big companies that are now starting to use the hashtag, uh, damn it, just ask, because damn it, damn just, it just ask. ask. Yeah, it, re it reminds me of the lottery in France had this advertisement that was 100% of winners bought a ticket. <laughs> and so it was, just, you know, that's catchy. Because, you know, it was to counterfact, you know, to counterbalance kind of like, oh, like, you know, you're more likely to get struck by lightning than to win a ticket or something. But yeah, if you don't ask, you're never going to get it. So our second guest is Jan Mexo Rehack or Mexo, a negotiation expert with 20 years of experience in behavioral science. Uh, and business negotiation. Mexo is the creator of the MCM communication model and the negotiation canvas, which is a tool to prep you for even the trickiest negotiations. 
Mexo teaches negotiation at Prague University of Economics of Business uh, of Economics and Business, sorry, and founded Negoticon. With over 3,800 people taking his courses and a ton of negotiation experience, Mexo is a professional of negotiation. But that's not all, because Mexo's hobbies include dancing, and he's even the Czech vice champion in salsa, which is amazing. Okay. He's currently working on a book called Negotiation Tango, and I hope we're going to talk about this later. Uh, Mexo will also share details about his upcoming Negoticon 2024, uh, happening in Prague in the Czech Republic. Uh, it's really an event you don't want to miss. I think it's the third one, Mexo. Um, okay. So second one. Okay. So Mexo, thank you so much for joining the stream. Uh, what's your favorite negotiation tip? Uh, I'd say uh, that conflict is an opportunity and not a scarecrow. Amazing, amazing. Uh, thank you so much. And I agree, you know, it, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll always do that. I'll always do this activity when I give a talk in a company. I ask people, what's the opposite of the word conflict? You know, like, what's, what's a word? And they always say, like, peace, harmony, you know, always positive things. And it's interesting because it makes the assumption, right, that conflict is a negative thing, right? So the opposite of a negative thing would be a positive thing. But nobody talks about the opposite of conflict could be apathy, lack of interest, nobody cares, you know, that kind of stuff. So I really agree with you. It's a very, 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 very good point. Um, okay, so we are going to, I have prepared a few questions. Uh, I see that we, we can have access uh, to, to uh, the chat. So if you have questions for the guests, please uh, put them in the chat. Uh, you can post them as comments and I will pin them and we'll talk about it. Um, so maybe let's start. Um, uh, Paul, so you faced a lot of challenges in your early life. And so I wanted to know, how did these challenges shape your passion for negotiation and conflict management? What you're referring to, I believe, is uh, my upbringing. I had a very, yeah. Yeah, I had a very violent alcoholic father. And when I say that he beat us, uh, he did some terrible, terrible things that go beyond just mere abuse. Uh, there were psychological abuse and physical abuse beyond uh, description. I, I don't want to get into it now. But one of the things that that did for me is that I was sent out to work and find a job at the age of 11. And uh, I had to then negotiate for a job with adults. I had to really develop a personality and an ability to influence people. My mother, great woman, uh, but she was an abused woman and she tried to do everything she possibly could to get by, just to live with this monster. Right. But one of the things that she did is she used to sell encyclopedias on, uh, the, on the phone. There was a radio station, you'd call in and you would sell and buy different things. So she used to put me on the phone at the age of eight or nine selling these encyclopedias. So I became a good salesman at the age of nine. Uh, what my past taught me is that you're not defined by your past. You're the one who defines your past. So some things that happened to you, like the abuse that happened to me, actually happened for me as well. Because at the age of seven, after one of those severe beatings, I looked up at my father. And in my mind, I said to myself, when I get older, when I become an adult, I'm going to become a policeman so I can arrest you and people like you. Right. So sometimes we have to look at our past and say, you know what, 
that was bad. Yes, it was. But what did it do for me? So that that's one of the things that that my past has done for me. It developed me, gave me the courage, the inspiration to stand on my own. And it actually taught me life lessons that I otherwise would never have received, I don't think. That's amazing. And and I think it resonates, you know, with a lot of people, if you had a difficult upbringing, sometimes it's difficult to overcome it, right? We can just be stuck with it. Um, but it's very inspiring that you managed to, to apply it to your career and make something positive out of it, you know, because it's, it's so sad, you know, when people are, 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 are abusive with children, you know, it's, it's terrible, absolutely terrible. Um, thank you so much. Uh, so Mexo, I'm really interested in your interest in dance and especially how, how dance is, is, uh, you know, kind of like weaving with negotiation for you. Well, um, dance is uh, about communication. Dance is about the, about the, the relationship between partners. So um, it is really interesting for, for me. It was uh, a way how to learn communication, actually. And then many, many, many years later, I realized that uh, basically whatever works in negotiation works also in tango because I, I started to do tango three years ago before that i did latin american dances uh, and after covid or in the covid a little bit after covid we started with tango and i said that's that's funny because yeah everything that works in negotiation works in tango what uh, about the leadership and uh, about all these things, but it's communicated a little bit different way, obviously, because in dance we don't talk, we cannot speak. So it's communicated everything uh, through the body. But th this is actually the book I'm writing will be called Negotiation Tango. Right. No, and that's, you know, we always say it takes two to tango and negotiation definitely is a dance. Um, I agree with you. Were you dancing as a child as well, or is it more of a recent interest? Oh, I started when I was 17. I remember it actually quite clearly because I didn't want to go to dance because in the Czech Republic, uh, everyone or, or almost everyone goes to dance courses when you become 16 or 17 or something like that. This is the tradition here so oh. in the mi middle Europe. And it's a great tradition. Yeah. It's a really cool tradition. And uh, the people, the friends from my class, my classmates, they uh, came to me and said, well, you need to come to dance course with us. And I said, no, not happening. And they <laughs> they said, well, welcome, or we won't, you, won't let you copy any tests and we won't help you with anything. And I <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't want to learn at, the, at this moment that much because I was, I was so much uh, into informatics and computers and didn't want to do anything with people skills and these things. <laughs> so I, I said, well, uh, okay. Uh, after they, uh, th there was some, you can say blackmail from them. 
And I said, <laughs> and I said okay, I'm going, going to be there because it's actually easier than having a conflict with them. And then when the date was getting near, I said, something needs to happen because me being in a dance course, that, that, that's going to be a catastrophe. Maybe, maybe there could be some greater catastrophe around there, which would be bigger than me in the dance course. And the date was 9-11, actually. Oh. Oh, wow. wow. So nobody, nobody noticed me in a dance course. Wow. <laughs> and so now you're, you're a champion. I, I, I was. I was in, we were in 2022 in Salsa, which is not the main category. Salsa in the Czech Republic is, isn't that, 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 that huge. It, it is a big hit, but nobody competes in there. So it's not that difficult to become a champion. Oh, wow. I mean, still, you know, <laughs> still to become, you know, you were let in and you competed and you became a champion. So that's pretty impressive. Um, okay, so now let's talk a little bit about crisis negotiation. So, Paul, you know, you've conducted hostage negotiations. Uh, how have you been applying principles from hostage negotiations to negotiation in the business context? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to start off by saying... Uh, Two of the greatest lessons that I learned uh, when I first became a policeman were this. Number one, we are more similar than we are different. And I want people to think about that. It doesn't matter the color of your skin, your religious beliefs, uh, what your sexual preferences are, how you identify. Inside, we are more similar than we are different. That really applies when you're sitting across from someone or on the phone with a hostage taker and thinking to yourself, if they're like me, what is it that they're going through right now? What is it that they must be feeling? So when you can step into the shoes of your negotiatee, I call them negotiatees, when you can step into their shoes and understand what it must be like for them in a state of crisis, in a state of panic, how should I respond to their crisis? So that's the first lesson. And the second lesson that I noticed and that I, I really took to heart was we um, we get what we give. So in in the world, if I give you kindness, if I give you respect, I'm likely to get it in return. If I say good morning to you when I'm walking on the street, there's a good chance that you may say good morning to me. I give you a smile, you give me a smile. People tend to forget that what they give, what energy they put out, they're likely to get back. So in a crisis situation, when I'm talking to someone, I'm imagining, what if I found myself in this situation? What if I found myself on a bridge about ready to jump and my life I felt was over? What would I need right now? When I am the negotiator with someone in crisis, I know that they need three things that we all need. We all need to be seen. We all need to be heard. We all need to be validated. We are social creatures. We were, in, from the beginning of time, in small communities, working together, supporting one another in order to survive. So we managed to get together and we managed to lean on one another. We all want to be recognized. Hey, you collected the berries today. Thank you for that. Or you went out and you hunted today. Thank you for that. You're an important part of this community. When you're on the brink, 
and even in a negotiation, if you're talking with on a multi-million dollar, billion dollar deal, you got to remember, what's that person thinking? Like, what is in their mind right now? What is it that they want? If I were them, what would I be worried about? What would I not be saying? And so by stepping into the shoes of the person that you're negotiating with, you can connect. You can ask those open-ended questions. So for me, it is really about putting myself in their place, wondering, because I know I might be walking in and I might be stressed out. I got to leave that stuff behind. I got to leave. I got to go in with a clear mind, focused, ready. But I don't know if they're in the state, same state of mind. And I won't know unless I ask and listen. So those those are some of my thoughts. No, that's extremely interesting. Um, and so to, to an, a follow-up question, um, you were talking about kind of like hunter gatherers and you know this is really when you look at evolution this is we've spent a lot of time tens of thousands of years doing that but we've only had the internet for like 20 years or 30 years right so it's extremely recent um i i'm somebody who can get overwhelmed you know when i receive too many messages and you know being tethered to like a world the world news and all that stuff do you think we're made for all of that information all of these connections i think we are the problem is is that our primitive brain we've got three brains and our primitive right. brain was designed to alert us to danger alert us to something uncomfortable and it gave us this ability, the fight, flight, or, or freeze. Like those were the three options because yeah. when we were in these small communities and there were saber-toothed tigers out there, we really had to be aware of the dangers and our body would respond accordingly. We do everything we possibly can to avoid pain and we do what we can to have pleasure. But what's happening now is that our primitive brain is jumping in to the 21st century, uh, all these emails and all these stresses and saying, hey, you got to get out of here. You're, like, this is danger to you. You've got to fight that primitive brain and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, I know how to relax and this is not dangerous. I don't have to answer 150 emails right now. I can take a moment or two and just truly breathe and say guess what i'll handle what i can't we have to challenge the primitive brain and say i'm not in danger it's like when we're asking someone out on a date our primitive brain may come in and say guess what they might say no that's danger that's danger and you're thinking no no wait a minute wait a minute it's okay things have evolved so to answer your question i i believe that a lot of people are are they're being affected by their primitive brain that says that everything must be answered now everything must be taken on right now otherwise you're going to self-destruct we've got to run from this and you've just got to challenge your brain and say no guess what it's the 21st century i know how to breathe i know how to this is not this is not danger so you have this monologue this this dialogue in your head and saying guess what no i can take a breather i'll do what i possibly can and I'll get to it when I can. And I, I think that that's the internal dialogue, the things that we tell ourselves, those narratives need to be changed. And one of the ways that we do that is we step back, we take a moment and we do something I called reset. We don't have to handle everything. If our mind is too overclogged and everything is going on, we have to step back and go, wait a minute, I need a reset. 
like when our phones are not working or this morning when the computer wasn't working and we're, we're you know you're going oh my god you know like uh, is this gonna yeah. work well you have to like maybe you have to jump out of the program and jump back into it but that's a moment of resetting and we all need it as negotiators as people as business executives whatever we all need to take that moment back and say i need a reset i need to unplug for a moment take a couple of deep breaths look at this decide and choose and respond not react we're not first reactors yeah. we have to become first responders so it's extremely interesting uh it really echoes uh, there's research in social psychology or in cognitive psychology about dual dual process theories you know which is kind of like the idea that you can respond or you can react you know which is like the reaction is kind of like this knee-jerk reaction which is typically anger freezing fleeing you know that kind of stuff or you can respond and then respond is a negotiation but the tricky part is it's completely learned. It's really something very, I, I know very, very few people who are naturally born great negotiators. Like most people, the vast, extremely vast majority of people have to learn it. And it's really like something that's a structured learning. Uh, so I find that particular very, very interesting. Do you have tricks on how to not react? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um I want to just first say, uh, to respond to what you just said, I thought it was brilliant. You're right. We're not born as negotiators. In fact, it's a learned process, which is, is great. No. Um, Mexico is doing a great job in teaching people these skills. And the reason that we're not born this way is that we're born full of potential. But if you could imagine that when we're born, we're like empty vases, right? You, you have a a vase of right. flowers. We're empty vases. We're, life is meaningless. Life is there's no meaning to life at first. It's it's empty and meaningless. But what happens is that people pour in some stuff into that empty vase. They pour in some uh, some worry. They pour pour in some anger. They pour in some love. There's a whole mixture of stuff that we start to grow up with, and we have to filter the bad stuff out. So one of the ways that I tell people in which they can do that is that they can consciously, consciously start their day off with intention. And this only takes a few minutes. And I, I recommend it and I coach people on this is that do you want to start your day off just letting it unfold the way it, it does? No, yeah. you should take a few moments. Number one, this is what I do. And this is what I teach people. Is it gratitude? When you start off with a few moments of gratitude, believe it or not, gratitude has been shown in scientific uh, experiments that gratitude actually improves your brain. It really, it, wow. it modifies your brain, it calms your brain. So if you take three minutes in the morning just to say, you know what, I woke up. When I think around the world, a lot of people didn't wake up, so I am grateful. I have my family that I love. I have a roof over my head. So a few moments of gratitude, then you choose your attitude. You go into the closet of your mind. Your mind has two closets, a very dark closet full of regret, shame, and all those things. You want to keep that one locked up. We all have it. We all have those, those past moments that really hurt us. We keep that one locked up. We go to the other side of our, our closet. We walk into the ones that have love, inspiration, courage, and uh, just th the ability to step into our greatness. We choose an attitude for the day and we choose a mantra. I am going to have an amazing day. I am not only going to, I am having an amazing day. 
So using the I am statements, I truly believe in this. And you, nobody is going to mess up my day because I'm not going to allow it. And this comes down to what you and I were talking about, responding or reacting to life. I choose to respond to the moments of my life, to reset when I need to. And if you do that, I did that all in the space of about two minutes. And that sets me off for a great day. This way, the day unfolds under my control. I don't buckle under its control. Right. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay, Maxo. So how does your expertise in crisis negotiation shape your approach for complex business negotiation situations? Well, uh, first of all, I'm not a crisis negotiator per se, because I do business crisis, which is uh, could could be similar, but it's not, not the same. Uh, I've been with someone who is suicidal at some place right. twice. Do you have examples of business crisis negotiations? Yeah, uh, the phone rings and they are telling me our company is going to bankrupt in this time if we don't do this, this and that. Or uh, wow. we, we are in debt and we need to help with this, this and that. Or we are five owners, we cannot agree on this and that. And tomorrow we are supposed to create a new company, but we cannot because we don't talk actually. Wow. So Could it be also your companies on the news, but not for the right reasons or you know, that kind of stuff? Um, whatever. Always. The, the, whatever the, it is. The, there could be just a business crisis. But, right. But all the times, almost, they almost every time call you when it's on the edge when it's almost <laughs> almost late it's like, like, like yeah. being on that bridge it's um, if they called you two weeks earlier it would have been much easier at, at, at the point it's either okay let's do what what we can but yeah difficult at the moment so yeah so what's your approach with with these negotiations Listen, uh, my, my first approach is always listen. It, it happens. It happens a lot of times, actually. Uh, they uh, ask me, for example, I, I, I come there, complete stranger, of course. They don't talk together. I, I remember a case where five co-owners of one company and they were not talking something like half of a year, maybe which is ultimately wow. bad. And the third or fourth sentence coming of the mouth of one of them was, okay, you know our company what? One day, that's great. We are really, really interested what you are going to tell us what will make a difference here. Right. And me not uh, being reactive but thinking of a response i said uh, well i'm not sure either what i'm going to tell you but i can promise you that i probably am going to be the first who's going to listen after after the half of the year yeah I mean, that sounds pretty insane. A company, first of all, a company with five, five co-owners is rough. You know, it's difficult. 
but not talking for half a year yeah that, that sounds like a recipe for a disaster they were talking in uh, some fractions this oh okay yeah. this this one with that those oh. two but not not together not 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 sitting around the table not, not all together and i feel like the more the more they speak together the less they're going to speak with the rest of the people like you know because a lot of times people in these when they create kind of like alliances you know they do it against other people yeah so yeah pretty rough yes Paul? yeah i just wanted to add something um and mexo uh i i believe that I'm I'm rewriting some sections in my book, Damages Ask, because I want to address this thing is that um, a negotiation can very easily be a crisis negotiation. It doesn't matter if you're negotiating for someone who is at risk or someone who's taken a hostage. But a lot of people, as Mexo just uh, just said here today, is, are in crisis because everything is falling apart. And I believe as negotiators, often in business our job is to deal with the negotiation to deal with the crisis by reminding them what's your purpose and a lot of times people they lose their purpose they're they're in business and and things are crumbling and i've spoken to some pretty big companies who have lost like one person came up to me and said listen we're falling apart Everything is, is the people are not like the CEOs are not talking to each other. Uh, COVID-19 has really destroyed us. We don't know what to do. And so they hired me to speak to them. And I, I developed a talk that was talking about purpose. Let me take you back to why you first started. What was your motivation to, to start this company? What was your intention right. to start this company? Let's start from the beginning. And sometimes it means just being humble and going to your CEOs or your customers and saying, guess what? We lost our way, but we now see the better way and we're going to improve things. And I believe that a lot of people are in crisis. And as Mexo said, we just need to, to deal with that and tell them to refocus. So I, I think it's true. Uh, Mexo, you said something very very significant to me as well uh your first when you were asked what's your best tip you said um you know that that conflict look at conflict as an opportunity and uh it's funny because my my badass guide to conflict resolution is exactly about doing that it's about finding the opportunity that's the one right there and mexo that's so important it doesn't matter what people are going through. They can't see because they're right in the middle of the war. And we from the outside can say it's time to take a reset. It's time to take a breath. It's time to look at the opportunities and not just the the terrible outcomes that you're imagining because everything you know can be fixed. It's, it's extremely interesting because I think sometimes, you know, our goals shift and we're not aware of it, you know, and I was I was talking to somebody um, who was going through kind of like a, a business crisis where they were just not going along with a business partner. And as I was talking with that person, it became evident that their goal was to destroy the other one. The goal was not anymore to like find a solution. The goal was to really just destroy them. 
And I was telling that person, you know, this quote, and I'm not going to do it perfect, but it's this quote that I that I heard uh, or this saying, which is, you know, if you're going for revenge, you know, get a shovel and dig two holes because like one is going to be for you. Yeah. And yeah. and it's unfortunately, it's actually what happened. You know, like that person didn't go with the mindset of, you know, let's build together and all that stuff. Instead, you know, they they split up, you know, because there was just no way no way to continue. I, I think I think one of the things you talked about, too, is that um, when we lose our focus, when we lose yeah. our, our, our mission, our mission statement in the very beginning, you start a business and yes, we want to make money. Sure. But if that's the sole thing is somewhere along the line, it may or may not work out. But when you're client focused, when you want to deliver something that is meaningful and helpful, then you have a better chance of building an empire because you know that your intentions are pure. And this is why it's so important for us to maintain our intention is my intention is to serve you. The best negotiators yeah. in the world are the ones who serve their clients. It's like, what can I do for you? As a hostage negotiator, one of the first things that I would tell the hostage taker is I'm here to help you. That's my intent. Yeah. I, are you okay? Is everyone else okay? I want to make sure that we all are okay and we are going to work at making that so. So when a person, as the one you described, lose their focus, lose their, their purpose and what started them out, then you're right. Build two graves. Yours is going to be the first yeah. one because I'm going to bury you in it. <laughs> yeah. That, that's really excellent. Okay, so um, if, if to the audience, if you have questions for Paul and Mexo, please type it as a comment uh, on the event and I will stream it and we will answer. Um, so I'd like to talk to you guys about your educational approach. Um, so Paul, when, when you give a keynote, what's your approach? Uh, how are you trying to teach negotiation? How do you do that? Well, I... I want to connect with each and every person in the audience. So eye contact, I will, what I love to do in my keynotes is I love to arrive a day early because if I arrive a day early, number one, uh, it's, it's a better chance for me to actually make the event because of the cancellations of planes and, and all kinds of things that could happen. So I want to arrive a day early and I want to have dinner with the people that I'm going to be talking to. And if you are a negotiator and you can actually sit and have dinner the night before you're going to have a negotiation with the people that you're negotiating with, this is what builds connection and rapport. And so my intent when I stand in to speak to an audience is to teach them very simple principles that they can then take with them and immediately begin to apply. That's why it took me a while to come up with my peer negotiating principles, but the acronym peer is easy for people to remember. When you think of PI, P-I-E, that in essence is my formula for successful negotiations. P being planning, and there's a whole bunch to planning. I being intent, and E being your entrance and engagement how you make a first impression, how you engage people. So I will speak to my audience and I will say, listen, if you don't plan, you're planning, you're still planning. You're, you're planning to lose if you don't plan well. 
And then what is your intent? And we talked about that. My intent is client focused. My intent is about you. What are your pain points? What are you looking to solve? Because it's much like dating, right? Like when you go out for a date, and I use this analogy in my keynotes, is that we get ready and we're prepared and we might do some research on the person we're going out for a date on. We, we pick a good spot, we pick a, a place, and our intent should be focused on learning as much as we possibly can from our date. And it's the same thing. So I teach my audience to just imagine what it would be like to um, prepare for, for the date or anything else. Remember, the person across from you is more similar than you are different. So that's my approach. It really is to connect with every person in the audience. I love to get off stage and walk through the crowd. And I may even sit down at a table. And this is, it, it really, uh, the, the audience goes, what is he doing? And I'm walking down, I'll sit down and I'll sit down across from Mexo. And I'll say, so Mexo, I'm gonna ask you a question and everybody turns to watch what's going to happen next. And that is really about being present and really appreciating the person and connecting with them on a level that they say, thank you. You see me, you appreciate me. I, I like this. I don't want anybody to fall asleep during my talks and they never do. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because every time I ask somebody, you know, is negotiation a valuable skill? Is it a useful skill? Everybody says yes. But then if I ask them if they negotiate, they say no. And so it, it probably signals that it's, it's actually something that's pretty hard to teach, right? Because people don't want to, don't want to do it for some reason. And so Mexo, how do you overcome that barrier with people? How do you convince them to negotiate? Well, I always begin with asking, as you said, and then I say, you know, that if you are in conflict and you have some kind of relationship, then you already are in negotiation. And the only yeah. difference is if, if you negotiate then nicely, negotiate it so right, let's say right or wrong, but you are in negotiation. And the worst negotiation is the one you don't know you are in. Yeah. This is, uh, this is how I get the people to listen at the moment. Because somebody says, uh, well, I don't negotiate that you don't have any relationship. Sure, I have. That you don't have any conflicts. Yeah. Well, sometimes, yeah, and then you are in negotiation, probably two to seven times a day. Yeah, I, I think one of the issues, though, is is people tend um, to, to manage their conflicts through avoidance. You know, a lot of times, you know, they just avoid bringing things up and they bottle things up. And it's kind of like connecting to what we discussed earlier about the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, a lot of companies uh, have, have had issues, you know, with retention during the during and after the pandemic. And it's something I've worked with organizations that had issues like this. And what was fascinating is you you have a lot of teams where people just quit, you know, you, they don't say anything, you know, you're not aware that they have a problem with the organization and just one day they quit and they disappear. And so you have to like find somebody else, but you don't know why they quit because they didn't tell you. Uh, you try to organize an exit interview, but they don't want to tell you. So, you know, it's really tricky. How do you, how do you convince if you're a manager 
how do you convince people to to tell you if there is a problem well i'd say uh of course there is the avoidance strategies one of those but usually yeah. generally avoidance strategy or avoiding strategy is one of the worst so could we together find one that would be at least a bit better i'm not uh, aiming straight at uh, finding the best i always try to encourage could we together because my, my view at negotiation is always I am a negotiator and the negotiator is never against me, but it's my partner. For me, it's always right. tango. So I am a partner. Yeah. She's a partner. He is a partner. So I always try to tell my partner, can we find together something that would be just a little bit better? Uh, and everybody says, oh, okay, we, we could. Because no, nobody wants to tell you, actually, no, there is no possibility that we together uh, <laughs> could find something that would be at least a bit better. No, 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 no yeah. nobody would like to tell that. So everybody, or almost everybody, gets into a little bit more constructive mode. And that's the difference. Excellent. I have something Thank to you. add, uh, if I could. Of course. Well, thank you. Uh, your your question about negotiating, like uh, getting people to negotiate, because a lot of people are afraid to negotiate. And how do we convince them that negotiation is a life skill? And I believe it is. Right. Asking and negotiating should come as naturally to us as breathing, because if we don't ask, we don't get. And we often need uh, very vital things. And if we don't ask for those vital things, love and and uh, and warmth and and just the very basics of, of life we're gonna die but when somebody says to me well i don't know how to negotiate or i don't i you know i'm a little bit afraid of, of negotiating and, and all this kind of stuff well i tell them uh, are you kidding me because you've been negotiating since the day you were able to speak words you were negotiating ever since you were told no that you couldn't stay up uh, a little bit later uh, to, to watch a television show, you were negotiating with your mom. Please, please. Now, you know, it may have been desperate negotiations. Oh, please, please, please. But it was a negotiation nonetheless. And if we remind people that life is a series of negotiations, be it life negotiations or business negotiations, you walk into a store, you see something and you negotiate with some, hey, you think I could get a discount on this? That's a negotiation. Hey, where are we going to go for dinner? Well, I want to go for a pizza. Well, I, I really want to go for steak. And there's a negotiation right there. Remind people that negotiation is a natural part of life and we've been doing it ever since. The thing that we have to get over is the fear. And what are the fears that are attached with negotiations? Mainly, I, I, it comes down to the fear of no. It becomes the fear of rejection. It becomes that. So that's where I focus my attention on teaching people to really embrace the opportunities. Um, so right. uh, in Mexico, uh, when you teach about how the, what you do in dance is really a negotiation, it's so true because negotiation is a dance. It is a dance in which partners cooperate to, uh, you know, to reach a particular beautiful outcome. And I love that. And if I may, uh, there's just one, Thomas, uh, Tomas, uh, asked a question in the, uh, in the chat. 
Can you yes. specify? Yeah. Can you specify what benefits offers uh, the classic crisis negotiation for business negotiations, even when no crisis and uh, business cannot be detected? I think I can answer that very simply. The benefits of connecting with another human being and working with them and agreeing with them is like my purpose is my purpose, like state of purpose. Why are we here? We're here to collaborate. We're here to consult. We're here to agree. We're here to find commonality. And a lot of people, they just jump into the negotiation without clarifying it. As a hostage negotiator, I'm here to make sure that everybody gets out safe and alive. So in a negotiation, we're here to uh, reach an agreement whether or not we can work together. On a date, it's the same way. We're in our mind, we're here to see if we're a fit, whether we're connecting. So to answer that, the benefits are that we negotiate to connect and to build relationships. That's really inspiring. Thank you. Um, I, I think to connect with what you were saying earlier, I think one of the issues uh, in teaching negotiation is as humans, you know, a lot of our education is is after we're born. You know, we still have a lot of stuff to do. If you if you look at an animal, like most, I have a lot of animals, but like most animals, the second they're out, you know, they can already function and do most of the things, you know. But for humans, it takes us like 20 years or something of like going through extensive education to read and count and all that stuff. And I think one of the issues is we're taught to be compliant and we because we have to. Right. Like if, I, if you have like a two year old, you know, like at some point you have to tell them what to do. You can't just like negotiate everything. And I think when young adults, when they go into a university, they start realizing that the rules have changed. Now being compliant is not working anymore. Now you have to ask for things. They're not just going to be given to you. So what do you guys think about that? I got one. Um, I, you're absolutely right. And uh Mexo, did you want to go first? Nope. Okay. Thanks. All right. Um, yeah. Let me say this. You're absolutely right. It's funny. We're as children, we're, we're told a whole bunch of things. Remember that illustration that I gave you about the vase, the empty vase, and things right. being poured in. Hey, you know what? Don't ask. Uh, like, don't speak unless you're spoken to. Yeah. Uh, it's impolite to ask for a second piece of cake. Uh, you have to be on your best behavior. Oh, you can do anything you want. Oh, you got all these things. So these mixed emotions that go into childhood, into our young adulthood, they need to be readdressed. Yeah. We need to reinvent ourselves to say, listen, I've been fed a mixed bowl of crap. You know, there, yeah. there's so much different things that I have to filter out. This is why it's important to reset and say, I need to step into my own greatness and realize that I am entitled, just as anyone else is, to have all the things in the world and to speak my mind. And this is why when I say your daily, you know, your daily appreciation, your daily motivations, whatever you do, we have to remind ourselves that no one in this world is more worthy of having the great yeah. things in life or doing whatever we want than us. Nobody is better than us. Nobody is more entitled than us, but we have to create those neural pathways in our minds that bring us into that, I am not fearful. I am a warrior and I am going to live my life on my terms. 
and this is what I choose to do. And I choose to believe in myself. It's a reframing, it's a resetting, and it is standing into your warrior self, your badass warrior self and say, no. guess what? I'm entitled and I am, I'm gonna be good about it. I'm gonna be yeah, nice, yeah. yeah, but I am entitled. We have to reframe that mind. That that's really fascinating because I, I advise a lot of students, you know, when they enter the job market, because companies typically try to pressure them to accept first offers, you know, for like their job. And they're very, very nervous, right? They don't know what to do, they don't know what to say. And and so a lot of them, when they book a meeting with me, um, they tell me, and they they legit say this exactly like this. They say, I'm going to be a good boy and I'm just going to take what they offer and or a good girl. And they will they will realize how good a girl I am and they will just increase my salary you know on their own and it's it's hilarious of course you know when when you're an adult and you and you know how these things work but I think it's because that's how the world works for kids you know you're a good boy and your parents are going to feed you and give you a, a you know like sports and all that kind of stuff but then there is like something you know that happens when you turn into an adult is like your boss is not your parent, you know, like they don't have completely aligned goals with you. Yes, you're right. And and this is the thing. Uh, we have to, again, we have to take a moment to reset and to question the things that we were taught and the behaviors that were drilled into us and now realize that we are adults. There's a I, I'm not an overly religious man, but I know that there's a verse in the Bible that says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. As an adult, right. I think as an adult. And I believe that this is the distinction. We have to remind our young adults that you can no longer think as a child. You are now an adult and you must think as an adult. This means that you must now question your value and realize that yes you are as valuable so when you go for that interview you know yourself this is what i bring to the table and this is why i cannot accept your offer you know i appreciate you giving me this offer but i am worth x y and z for this reason because i now think as an adult i now believe as an adult and i behave as an adult i, I and that's that's a taught you have to teach young people to do this. And that's what we're here to do, right? Yes. And so we have another, all these great comments from, from Thomas, um, who's, who's asking, um, you know, I don't know if you can display the whole comment, but basically he's saying some of the business negotiation trainers claim that the crisis negotiation procedures cannot be applied in real business. Uh, how would you explain to these business negotiators, trainers, that there there is also another perspective that crisis negotiation can be applied to business to business negotiation? Maxo, you want to you want to go first? Yeah, I can. Uh, I'd say uh, you you are always in negotiation, and you use the same or similar principles in every negotiation you should start with active listening because without that uh, what you are negotiating about and then it uh, comes to the rest so uh, yeah there are some things that in business negotiation will be different obviously in diplomatic negotiation will be different because 
in business negotiation uh, it could be uh, especially in some branches it's or could be very factual yeah but the principles are in my opinion still the same Go on, yeah, yeah, no, but that, that's really interesting because I think it resonates with what you were saying earlier about how emotions matter, you know, in, in negotiations. I feel like, um, you know, I went just through the, the tenure process, you know, at McGill. And, you know, so it's like an extensive review with like all sorts of, you know, people reviewing you and all that stuff. And I it really made me understand that, you know, a lot of times, you know, a review process, even when it's very objective, very detailed, there is still an emotional aspect to it. There is still, do we want to keep this person around? Do we like that person? It plays a huge role. Exactly. Very good. Thank you. Uh, I, so, I'd, like to, I'd yeah. like to add a little bit to that. Sure. That, you, you know, uh, when we think about it, and I want to simplify this, a lot of people think negotiation, negotiation is so complex. It's crisis negotiations. This is that. And they put all these levels of negotiation right. to it, right? Well, when you think about it, what is a negotiation? In its simplest form, it's when two or more people gather together to reach an agreement. Right. That's what a negotiation is. That's it. Why should we complicate it? What? Well, there's a crisis involved. Yeah, okay. But I'm still here to reach an agreement with the other person. And my job is to be aware. My job is to, I'm a flashlight. I want to shine lights into the darkness of a negotiation, the things that are not being said. I use the word, damn it, just ask. If I see an emotion, if I'm watching a person, I'm sitting with you guys and all of a sudden I say something and I, I see that there's a shift in body language. Maybe I say something and, and Mexo might turn around and go, oh, you know, something like that. And I see a big shift in his body language that wasn't there earlier. My job is not to continue to repeat myself or to continue to make my pitch or try to convince. My job is to take that moment, as Mexo uh, referred to a little bit earlier, identify the emotion that I just saw and damn it, just ask about it. Like I see Mexo that something I just say may have alerted you or alarmed you. Uh, is there something that you would like to add to this or did I say something that you're concerned about? And it really is about just asking the questions that need to be asked. So. When we look at this and, and somebody says, well, it's not a crisis negotiation, we're all in crisis. Yeah. We're all bringing something into that negotiation. We don't know if the person that we're sitting across, maybe a CEO whose business has got three weeks left if they don't get the deal. We have no idea what they're carrying into the negotiation, which is why it makes, them, it, makes it so important for us to ask those questions and to really work with the other person. So when someone is told it's not a crisis negotiation, okay, all right, it is a negotiation and that is what we need to focus on. All aspects, let's shine a light into the things that are not being said, let's work together, let's collaborate. I love what um, uh, Stephen has been adding to the conversation as well uh, as uh, Tomas and uh, there's a LinkedIn user and Terrence, thank you. 
I love the, uh, the the line that you said. Uh, you can learn to dance with a porcupine. It's not easy. Yeah. It's possible. And I think it's true. <laughs> it's a great. You can do it. You know, some people do it. Uh, there is Mike, who's a good friend of the show. Uh, Mike is saying, thanks for the similarities. Can you tell us how crisis and B2B negotiations are different? And if I recall, I think Mike has in his uh, tagline, not a crisis negotiator, a business negotiator. So what are the differences? Uh, you know, Mexo, can you tell us a little bit about what could be a difference between a crisis and a business and B2B? negotiation well i'd say the biggest difference would be then in business negotiation and also depends which branch of the business negotiation you are because when it's business crisis then it's basically similar but uh, otherwise you spend much more time in the deal making process right because in crisis if you are with someone who is suicidal, then when uh, they agree to get uh, off the bridge, basically your deal is done when they agree to that to to get into yeah. the car or something. It, it's done. Uh, in business, uh, you you find the trust. You, you build the trust. You, you know that you are in a good relationship, and then it comes to okay how are we going to make that deal work and it right. can take you many more days to find out how or actually is it even possible for example in diplomatic negotiations there are also some of the possibilities that they say okay we want to negotiate that but we know for sure that no solution these days exists. So let's renegotiate in this couple of years in a good faith again about this part. Right. And let's uh, let's give it into the agreement. Right. So uh, this this is closer to the business negotiation, the the, the making the agreement work or how how we state that agreement how could we define that this is a difference the, the deal making process thank you paul i don't know if you want to add something to to answer that question um could you could you ask the question again and i'll just uh sure so how can so can you tell us how crisis and b2b negotiations are different you know i I'll start off with this, is that, uh, again, I'm going to say a negotiation is a negotiation. And uh, whatever you're served is what you deal with. The difference, I, I believe, is uh, perhaps a level of patience and uh, truly listening, like seek first to understand then to and then to be understood, is a principle that we use in all negotiations. But with someone in crisis, they don't hear what you are saying in the very beginning because their heart is beating so loud their their mind is filled with negative thoughts and you may be talking and i know that i even as a as a hostage negotiator uh, or a crisis negotiator speaking with a suicidal person or even a person a hostage taker who didn't plan on taking a hostage when mm -hmm. i first speak it's probably like this one what yeah. Yep. Uh, Paul. Yeah. Uh, and they don't hear me. 
It's like having your head underwater and not hearing the sounds or the words that are coming. You can only vaguely make it out. Why? Because your heart is being so loud. So I have to reframe, rephrase, and repeat, 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 and calm the situation. I have to take down the level of uncertainty and crisis, and I have to very much diffuse it. I'm very much, I have to bring it down to a calm state. That takes a little bit more time than jumping into a regular negotiation saying, here, this is what we're to do. I have to make sure that uh, my person, the person I'm negotiating with, comes down to a homeostasis, like a, a level mind in which they can actually hear me. That's the biggest difference is that in the onset of the negotiation, it requires more patience, more repetition, and more time than jumping into a regular negotiation. That's the difference, time and patience and just repetition. Right. But I, I have to say, although that in a lot of business negotiations, when people are untrained, you know, when they have very little experience, they tend to also be very scared and very nervous and their heart is beating and they're red. I see it a lot of times, you know, with students who want to discuss a grade and they feel like maybe a, a grade was unfair. You know, a lot of times they arrive and they're like, so they're red and they're so nervous and they imagine all sorts of things, you know, that could happen, you know, oh, he's going to like, I'm going to get kicked out or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of situations, you know, people become very emotional. Yes, Maxo? Yeah, or when you, for example, spend two days negotiating about something and you finish the deal, then they will tell you, okay, we are now sending it to you in the email. And then right. they don't send it to you next day then they don't send it either and in the third day it comes it's completely false statement there it's completely yeah. completely messed up then i can also see red at this moment and then i need first to de-escalate myself then give myself some time period to cool off a bit and then i can, yeah. can start then I can start to de-escalate the situation and go into business negotiations. So I'd say it's not that dissimilar. <laughs> this is a lifetime ago. Yeah, this is one of the reasons. This is one of the reasons when people say that a negotiation, a crisis negotiation, is different than a business negotiation. And my answer to that is, it's a negotiation. How can we label it? Your example, yeah. your example of the students who are red in the face and they're worried and stuff like that. We have to be aware. This is why. The preparation phase of any negotiation, any interview is so dynamically important. We have to imagine, again, we're more similar than we are different. And I teach this and I listen, what would it be like for that student in front of me? What are they going through? What, yeah, how can they imagine? And then I have to identify it. I have to say, listen, um, if I were in your shoes sitting in that chair, I would probably feel X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z. Then we watch the body language and they're going, that's exactly what's happening. That's what's yeah. happening to me. And you go, I'm glad that you are telling me this. Let me tell you X, Y, and Z. So it's so important. I don't make the distinction. It's crisis. It's this. Everyone right. is going to bring something different and we have to flow. Like Bruce Lee says, become water. Become water, right. my friend, and just go with the flow of the negotiation. If it requires yeah. a moment to sit back and say, we can't go any further, 
let's move on this particular thing that's come up and let's talk about this before we go back into the negotiation. Let's talk about the emotion, the concerns, the worries, the objections that have come up here. And then we can continue to reach these agreements together. Excellent. So there is a really cool comment uh, from a LinkedIn user. I don't know why some users, I don't see the name, but it says negotiation can also uh, can uh, also be to influence someone or a group to think or behave in a certain way, meaning it could be verbal and nonverbal. Absolutely agree. And I think, you know, kind of like connecting to what Mexa was saying, where sometimes you have to take a break. Uh, when you were telling me that, it really reminded me of um, a lifetime ago. I used to be a summer camp counselor when I was like a teenager and it was like a really really big summer camp in Maine with like 500 kids and 150 staffers it was massive and the last year after like four or five years there I was director of discipline and so I had to like basically discipline the kids and I would have to deal with the worst kids right like the kids just create all the problems and all that stuff and the owner at the time gave me that tip that I used like for every kid, which is like, you know, sometimes you're just upset because the kid is like just creating all sorts of problems. You know, it's like just really, you know, it upsets you, right? And, but you don't want to be upset with them. So what I would do is I would just have them sit in my office for like half an hour and I would just go somewhere else and do other things. And they would just sit alone in my office. And so that's why also I thought about it for like the comment, because it's also a negotiation move because during that half an hour, the kid is like, on his own, you know, in an office of an adult and is like freaking out because he doesn't know if I'm going to call the parents. He doesn't know what's going on. Right. So so I used to do that. But it was just like sometimes I just remember like you can't be upset with kids like just make him wait for an hour and then just come back, you know, so very uh, on, interesting. On your comment, um, we talked a little bit about reset. Uh, in the very beginning, we all need that because if if things are not going well in a negotiation or we feel just this overwhelming sensation that we need a break, let's take a break whenever possible yeah. that is because you're right. I love your story about leaving the kid in the office for half an hour because as a professional interrogator, I used to interrogate murderers and rapists and gang members. I'd leave them sitting in the interrogation room for half an hour or three quarters of an hour before I would step in. And yeah. it's for exactly what you did. It's like, what, what's gonna happen next? What's gonna happen next? And yeah. then they Let them think a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. Let them think and wonder about what's going on. Yeah. Why is he not speaking to me right now? <laughs> what is he doing? Does he have my parents on the phone? Like that's really what was going on. Are they are they packing my stuff? Like, you know, that there's all sorts of things that they worry about. Cause it can go all the way to that. You know, we had issues like insane issues with like uh, an 18 year old who hooks up with the 14 year old, like, you know, that kind of like crazy, insane call the cops situation. Right. Uh, but you also have just regular situations where somebody is like bugging you because they're just creating issues and you're just trying to run a camp, you know, like you're trying to run a camp. And so sometimes you're like, I'm just going to make him wait, you know, it's just going to wait and, and think about it all. Excellent. Um, okay, so let's finish maybe by playing the master negotiators game. Um, so it's something that I've been thinking about, you know, for for training. Um, sometimes, you know, I have like 15 minutes or 20 minutes and it's not enough to do like a full simulation, but I still want to have a discussion about kind of like negotiation. And so uh, here's like how it works. 
Um, the deck has uh, cards from three categories. You have the negotiation type cards. And so these negotiation types, they set the stage. They tell you what you're going to negotiate. You have the relationship cards. Uh, so this gives you kind of like an insight about your negotiation partner. So a piece of information about some intel about the person that you that you know or you, you know or you assume there's a setting card which is uh where and when the negotiation will happen so overall uh, i have 60 cards and so that's more than 6000 scenarios and so this weekend i posted on my profile but i picked three cards and i'd like for you guys to tell me if somebody came to you with that situation what would you advise them to do so the negotiation they're trying to do is uh, negotiate a work from home schedule with their manager um, what they know about the manager is the manager is highly data driven somebody who makes a lot of decisions with data and the setting is a work lunch so if you were meeting that person, right, who needs to negotiate a work from home schedule, has a manager who's highly data driven and the negotiation happens over a work lunch, what would you advise them to do? How should they tackle that situation? Nexo, you want to start us off? Up to you. <laughs> Nexo, go for it. And, and then we'll, we'll okay. have, uh, and then we'll have Paul. Okay. Uh, what always what i always try to recommend is to look a little bit what's uh, beyond the surface i always try to recommend to find the true motive why are we really there uh, paul right. will be uh, in relation with that because this is a police issue look for the true motive what's the motive right. and in my experience, when you just find the true motive there, you got something like 85% of the success of the negotiation. Sometimes you need to do something with it. Sometimes it is just good enough if you only find the motive. And right. So for example, could be could be could it be something like your manager is not super excited about you working from home because they worry about productivity for example like so you don't really need to talk about it's not really about work from home it's about productivity for example uh, I, I i would encourage not to be worried that would be the first if somebody right. came, came or if it were my setting i would say myself well don't don't let's not be worried don't be worried Right. then uh, I would say don't base any negotiation, even this one, on assumptions. There could be many reasons why this setting is done like that. Uh, there could be any data. He's data-driven, so there could be anything. Could be positive, could be negative. There are many possibilities. So right. let's go there unafraid, look for the true motive, and uh, listen, that would be yeah. very inspiring. Thank you, Mexo. Paul, what do you think? Yes, I'm going to use a little bit of what Mexo said, because when I was thinking about this, what we have is uh, an employee who is going to be meeting with their data-driven boss about a work-from-home right. schedule. So now we know what we're getting into, and uh, we're going to only have a short period of time in which to discuss this. This is a, a work um lunch and uh, yeah. so we're going to talk about this i'm going to prepare i am going to uh, prepare before that phone call i'm going to think to myself 
what questions or concerns would my boss obviously have? Like, if my boss's name was Jean, what would Jean have? Like, what, what are his concerns? I don't know what they are, and I, I won't know until I ask him. So I, um, and if he says, well, it's, it's because I don't know if you're going to be doing your work. I don't know if you're going to be uh, slacking off. I don't know this. I don't know that. I'm going to want to prepare myself to have answers for those obstacles, for those, those, uh, those concerns. So I would start off the conversation by saying, ideally, Jean, what would you like to see me do in this work from home situation? What is your vision of the best scenario possible? Like, what are your concerns? I would really like to know, Jean, what are you concerned about? Are you concerned of, about my performance, about how much work I'm going? I would like to hear from you first. And I think that that's true. I want to hear everything you can. And when you come back and say, you know what, Paul, I am worried. Like, I've had people who have let me down. I've had this, I've had that. Now, I've already planned for this because guess what? Before I jumped on, on this call with you, I spoke to my good friend Mexo and I had Mexo play your part. Mexo, right. Mexo pretended he was you. He asked me all these questions. And so we had this, this little uh, play thing going on in which, uh, which hostage negotiators do all the time, role playing. And I role played with Mexo. So now I know that. And so once you've given me all your concerns, I'm going to say, Jean, thank you for sharing that with me. What I would like to propose is this schedule. And I would like us, if we could, in maybe two or three weeks from now, that we revisit to, uh, to determine whether this is working for you. I want That's to right. make sure that you're happy with my performance. And here's my guarantee to you. My guarantee is that I will perform and I right. will meet your expectations and even more because I want to deliver to you that confidence that, that you can let me on my own and look at me as being an ideal employee. That is my commitment to you. And so it's right. very much like, like just, just, I ask, damn it, just ask, what's your worry? Yeah. What are you worried about? What, like, like I want to find out and say it in such a nice way that you tell me, well, darn it, I've not had this workout before and somebody, well, that's not me. You know, Mexico. So you're focused. Yeah. 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 I'm focused. But you're focused on the other party, which I think is is a lot of times when people are preparing their negotiations, they only prepare their side of the story. They never prepare yes. what could be coming. Like, you know, so they only focus on what they want. They don't focus on how what the other party wants. And the problem is like what, what I find really interesting in what you, the strategy you laid out is it's really focused on addressing the concerns of the other party and embedding into the into the deal a way out for them. Like they're not going to get screwed over because in two weeks we're going to to meet again and and we'll see if it works for you. Right. So so you're you can't lose. Right. Well, in that situation. And, and you're so right. And this is what. I love what you said is that so many people go in and they're, they're yeah. self-focused. Well, I, I don't believe in, in being focused only on thyself because that is a house of cards. That is about me. And that will come out in my voice. It will come out in my work. It will cut out, come out in my body language. It's all about me. Imagine the date. If I went in and I said, hey, baby, <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> yeah. that you met me. But you know what? It's all about me. Let me tell you about me and what I yeah. can give you. You don't have to look anywhere else. Well, I'm not going to get the deal. I'm not going to get the date. I'm not yeah. going to get the second date. But if I go in and I say, what are you looking for? 
Like, what is it right. that you would like to ideally see in a partner? And that's what I'm doing when I'm at a business. I want to find out what I'm client focused. It's, it's seek first to understand Stephen Covey. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. What are you looking for? Because guess what? I may not be able to meet those expectations. If I'm in there and you say, well, I want X, Y, and Z and this to work this way, all for you know this number of dollars, I might say, that doesn't work for me. I can't deliver yeah. that. But that's a good time to start either that's negotiate good to know. or leave. But yes, yeah. be focused on your client. Then when they feel seen, heard, appreciated, they're gonna want to work with you. People will work with you when they know you, like you, and trust you. Let's go back to the scenario you just gave. And I'm talking to Jean, my boss, and I say, what are your concerns? What would you like to see? Ideally, what would you like to see? Guess what? Jean's gonna have a little bit of um, empathy for me. He's going to like the fact that I let him speak first. Right. And I let him express his worries first. And I said, I want to work with you because I'm reaffirming. It's like when somebody signs on the dotted line, hey, this was a great deal. Let's uh, let's sign on the dotted line and let's get the contract out. Well, before we do that, I just want to tell you, Jean, or I just want to tell you, Mexo, I'm so happy that we reached this deal and you are going to be so happy with the product I'm delivering now. And I am going to, I am going to meet those obligations that I made to you. So man to man, man to woman, I am speaking to you as a human being. You are going to be so happy with this purchase. Right. You're going to be so happy with this contract. And I am going to uphold my end. And this is the beginning of a wonderful relationship. That's amazing. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. No, it doesn't. That's excellent. Okay, so let's wrap up and talk about future projects. Mexo, can you talk to us a little bit about Negoticon 2024 and how people can join? Yep, sure. Uh, Negoticon, many of you already know that is a international conference held in Prague, Czech Republic. And put it simply, we bring the best negotiators around the world and we make it a three-day conference when, where we uh, learn uh, from each other and try to make it the best possible experience. Paul will be there <laughs> and many other stars like Gary Nessner, uh, Scott Tillema, uh, Nikki Perfect from Scotland Yard, who uh, was, was uh, the leading, uh, leading uh, te teacher of negotiators in Scotland Yard and uh, business negotiators, diplomatic negotiators and from all around the world. So yeah amazing it's, amazing and so they can connect with you they can go on negoticon.com yeah .com or connect yeah. with you and so if you're listening you know you please add the two guests you know to linkedin follow them they regularly post content about negotiation and so what about you paul what do you have in store what's what are your projects all right. I first want to say that Nagoticon, I am so looking forward, Mexo, to that event and to meeting these great negotiators from across the world. I can't think of a better, uh, a better opportunity to learn from people from across the world. And when you can, when you can negotiate globally, the doors are all open to you. So I'm looking forward to that. As far as what I'm doing right now, 
um, I have that book, Damage, Just Ask, and I'm rewriting it. I, like, I, I'm keeping the content the way it is, but I'm structuring it for today's modern world. And when I first wrote that, it was during the pandemic. So a lot of the focus was on negotiating during the pandemic. Right. And I'm eliminating some of that because we are now post-pandemic, but still facing the yeah. same challenges in many instances. Um, other than that, I have a film project that I am hoping will uh, resonate this year, will start this year. I have no idea that's something that is not within my control. So I'm focusing on the things that I can control. Um, I'm looking, I'm coaching and coaching people on mental wellness, on being confident, on getting over imposter syndrome. And I'm, uh, I'm speaking globally, and uh, which is a passion of mine. So those are the things that I'm working on. That's amazing. Okay, you guys, uh, this is the end for today. So thank you so much to both of you uh, for, for attending the first episode of the show and sharing your insights. Um, I'll see everybody next week where I have the pleasure of hosting Patrick Tinney and Steve Albantineo. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you so much, Mexo. I John, wish you be, yes. be, before you disconnect, yes. I just want I just want to say to you, uh, thank you and give you your flowers oh. for having put this on. What a great episode this has been. And Mexo, I just absolutely love everything that you say and, and the idea of tango and negotiations and dance is in my mind. And it's just so great. And to everyone listening, everyone listening to this great podcast. Keep listening to it. Guess what? Jean didn't pay me five bucks before to, to, to advertise this, but what a great platform that you can jump on for free and right. learn from people who know the business. Yep. And you would have to pay thousands of dollars in an event to get this kind of, of delivery. Absolutely. And you've done an amazing uh, job here, Jean. I want to thank you so much for having me on. And it was a great opportunity to get to know you better. And Mexo, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much, you guys. I wish you, everybody, I wish you a great week. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone.